Hi, tonight's reading is out of Hosea 11, 1 through 11. It's in this pamphlet, if you want to open that up. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I began, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws and bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give, up on, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart reconciles within me. My compassion grows warmer, warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man. The Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. This semester, we are looking at together in RUF um, uh, how to become a fully realized human being. Um, What God wants to do in your life, if you know Jesus, is that he wants to make you like Jesus. Okay, He wants to give you the character of Jesus. And the reason why that's something that we all need and all could be interested in is because Jesus um, was the most fully in his, in his, his, well, he still has a body, but in his human ministry was the most fully and robust human being that ever existed. And one way that you could sort of describe his, his humanity is that he was full of love. Um, he was the most loving person that ever existed. And uh, we're, we're going through this sort of, what, what does it look like to have the character of Jesus that God wants to grow on you? And on your sheet, you'll see there's a passage there from Galatians chapter 5, and it has the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is really a shorthand way to describe the character of Jesus. Um, it's a shorthand way to describe the kind of person that God wants to make you into by faith and by the working of his spirit. He wants you to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Jesus says to us, what it means to be fully human is that you are a lover. Okay, one time someone asked Jesus basically, um, what is the point of human existence? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? So to be fully human, it means that you are a lover. Um, now, I think all of us desire to have love. We all want to be loving people. Um, so what we're going to do tonight is I'm going to give you a definition of love, which I think is, a, which is a sort of a summary of what the Bible says about love. And then I want to unpack a little bit with us some of the ways that we pursue love in the wrong way. Does that make sense? Definition of love, I'm adapting this from a dude named Tim Keller, um, who is bald. Uh, so that's one thing I have on him. Um, he does not steal my sermons, but he is bald. Um, 
He says, love is the act of seeking the good of another solely because of their intrinsic value. Okay? Love is the act of seeking the good of another solely because of their intrinsic value. Okay? So that means two things that love is not. The first thing that love is not is that love is not a feeling state. Okay? Love is not an emotion. That's how we typically think of love. We sort of conflate this idea of falling in love or being in love with what the Bible calls love or loving your neighbor. Um, this comes across mostly in, in romantic relationships. Okay, We're generally romantically looking for someone who can give us a certain feeling. That when I'm with them, I just feel something that I don't feel with other people. Uh, Aziz Ansari has a book called Modern Romance that you should read because it's hilarious. This is Tom Haverford from Parks and Rec, in case you're over 30, um, <clears throat> like me. Uh, Aziz Ansari says this, We want something that's very passionate or boiling from the get-go. In the past, people weren't looking for something boiling. They just needed some water. Once they found it and committed to a life together, they did their best to heat things up. Now, if things aren't boiling, committing to marriage seems premature. Right? You get that sense like, if I'm with this person, if it's not boiling from the beginning, then I'm not, maybe we shouldn't get together. And that's true in how we sort of do romantic relationships. Um, but, I, but we also think in the rest of our relationships that loving someone means getting really strong feelings from our relationship with that person. Like it's supposed to leave us either breathless or with a nasty scar, right? Okay. It's, 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 it's this large emotion. <laughs> Knew you were going to make it. And you did. But God shows us in this passage that love is not a feeling state. Love is an intentionality. Okay, Love is a do word. Um, and look at all God's love in this passage. It's all worked out in action. Look at the passage on your sheet. This is from Hosea, which is a minor prophet, which doesn't mean that he's less important. It just means that the book is shorter um, in the Old Testament. And look at what he says. He says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. This is God talking about his people, Israel, okay, in the Old Testament. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. God's people were enslaved in Egypt. And God actually went and because of his love, he rescued them out of slavery and set them free. Then look down to verse 3. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk. Ephraim is another, word for, is another name for Israel. I taught them how to walk. I took them up by their arms. Listen to the gentleness of God. I don't know how, what you think about God, but he, he says, I gently, I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to, to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down and fed them. God expresses his love to his people through action, through doing something for them, from setting them free, teaching them how to walk, growing them, feeding them, caring for them, being gentle toward them. C.S. Lewis uh, puts it like this. He says, love in the Christian sense does not mean an emotion. It is a state not of the feelings, but of the will. It's deciding to do, to, to do something. The state of the will which we naturally have about ourselves and must learn to have about other people. You catch that, what he says? He says, it's a state of the will which we naturally have about ourselves and we have to learn to have about other people. Think about how you love yourself. Okay, there are some of you in the room that I know are very confident. You get up in the morning, you look at yourself in the mirror, and you go, you know, not bad, it could be worse. Um, 
you know, you're feeling good about what you're doing. You, you walk with it with a, with a pep in your step, and you generally feel good about yourself. Okay? There are some of you that when you get up in the morning, you just loathe the idea of seeing yourself in the mirror. You're embarrassed of yourself. You just generally don't like yourself. Um, and most of us, I would say, bounce, depending on the day, depending on the weather, between those two things in terms of how we feel about ourselves. right? But every person in here actively seeks their own good. Like, every day you eat, every day you sleep, every day if things are going really hard, you take a little break for yourself, right? You stop by Crossroads and get a cup of coffee. Um, You groom yourself. Everyone seems to be fairly well-groomed in the room. Um, You're getting an education. You're in some way improving yourself and actively seeking your own well-being. And here's the point. Each of us actively pursues our own well-being, whether we like ourselves or not. Does that make sense? No matter how you feel about yourself, you will still seek your own good throughout the day. We never put feelings before actions with ourselves, but we do the opposite with others most of the time. We look for how we feel first, and then that determines on how we are going to treat someone else. And we get stuck in loving relationships with other people because we're waiting for the feeling. And some of y'all are so in your head about how you feel about this person. Do I like this person? Am I feeling validated in this relationship? Do I want to love this person that you actually never really do anything for them? And you just look back later and go, there was a lot of opportunities to love that that person and I was just up in here talking to myself. Um, and, And look, I get it. Like, you don't want to be inauthentic. I understand that. You're like, I don't want to do something for someone just and like, it'd be fake. And it's going to feel super fake, right? Um, but authenticity is not a feeling. Authenticity is an action. What is inauthentic is if you are a Christian person and you've been redeemed by the work of Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit, what's inauthentic is withholding love from someone. The most authentic thing you could do, though it feels the most unnatural, is to actually seek the well-being of another person. In in, in the gospel, this weird thing happens where the thing that feels the weirdest to us is who we really are in Jesus, right? Um, Jesus calls us to love because we are loving. Um, Following Jesus doesn't feel natural, but he's made that who we are, and now we're living into that. So love's not a feeling state. That is why you can love someone that you do not like. Like, you can love someone and genuinely not want to be friends with them. Okay? Does that, does that make sense? Um, God calls us, actually, in the Bible, this some, but a lot of times people read the Bible and they go, I could never follow this because God says to love my enemies. And if you knew what my enemies had done to me, you would understand that that is impossible but, but God is showing us here that we don't have to like people to seek, actively seek their own good. Listen to what Lewis says again. This is, if you take nothing else home, take this. He says, don't waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do, we find one of the great secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. Very often, when we actively pursue another person's good, when we pray for them, when we work toward their well-being, we will find that God supplies emotions on the back end as long as we seek the action 
first. This is, this is the same thing I believe that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was saying when he says love is the only force capable of turning an enemy into a friend. When you actively are loving, God will very often in you turn an enemy into a friend. So love is not a feeling state, it's an action. The second way that we typically um, use love wrongly or think of love wrongly um, is that we think that love is transactional, okay? And love is not a transaction. Look again at the passage. Um, Nothing God does here in this passage is for the express purpose of getting his people to like him, okay? Um, He continues to love his people despite their unfaithfulness. I mean, look, look, he says, I called um, Israel my child. I, I called them out of Egypt. Look at verse 2. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals, that's false gods, and burning offerings to idols. In verse 3, it just, it, it just tears at my heart. He says, Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. Um, God doesn't love his people so that he can feel like a loving God. Okay? So the people will pat him on the back and give him like some kind of God of the, of the month award. Um, he loves his people simply because he created us in his image. And that means we are worth love. Uh, there is nothing else that I've found in the world in terms of systems of thought or religions that give more reason why human beings are valuable than, than the uh, message of the Bible, which says God created people to be like him, and therefore we are worth love. But you see how God loves his people? It's, like, it's a hard-knock life you know, for God. Like, instead, I don't even remember how the song goes now I brought it up. It's right, life for us. Right, but instead of what, we get kicks. Instead of kisses, we get kicks. Instead of something else. Oh, instead of treated, we get tricked. Instead of kisses, we get kicked. Okay, right. It's a hard knock life. Okay, sorry. That was a tangent. Um, God's people either outright reject him or they forget him. I mean, can you imagine that? Can you imagine like a, a parent teaching their child how to walk? Like gently, like holding their little hands. Like I've taught three children how to walk, right? And they've held my fingers and uh, helped them run up. And then the child forgetting a, that that person ever helped them and wanted to run off to another, another parent. Um, that's God's experience with his people. Because look, love gives freely regardless of the response that they get back. That's how God loves. God doesn't love in a transaction. God does not love in order to get something. He loves purely to give. Um, beautiful example of this, one of the most beautiful examples I've ever seen is Severus Snape. Uh, if you've read Harry Potter or seen the movies, um, I'm not going to ruin anything for anyone that's not seen it all because it's a major plot development. <laughs> but I will say this, for those of you in the know, Snape endured shame and rejection completely Because he loved actively for someone that wasn't even around anymore. Nobody knew, nobody even knew what the man was doing until events transpired that I will not get into. (laughs) And he did for love. But we're almost always transactional in our our love. Uh, We serve others so that they will give us something, generally, whether we realize it or not. They'll give you an opportunity, give you an internship, they'll give you a roommate, they'll give you a call. They'll give you likes. They'll give you some kind of gratification that you want on a Thursday night. Um, 
We love people because we need to be liked. Because we need people to think well of us. So we often do things in order to establish that they will think well of us and everyone will think that we are a good and kind and loving person, which of course is about you and not about them. This is not love, this is prostitution, right? Like, I will give you something so that you make me feel good. Uh, And we kind of treat friends and family and the oppressed and the poor more like, uh, like the weed dealer out at the pit. You know, I know where you guys buy weed, this FYI. Um, <laughs> then, then like a human being. Actually, I don't know where you buy weed. I think that it looks like a place you buy weed. <laughs> um, it's like there's a bunch of grills that no one seems to be using. Um, <clears throat> and, and this comes to my mind, even, especially as I think about um, how we care about the poor. And how we care about oppressed people groups. And I want to be really careful when I say this, and I want you to hear me making this nuance. One of the most beautiful and lovely things about Appalachian State is this, in the general sense, is a student body that cares about justice, that cares about people that are oppressed, and wants to do something about it, right? I always say people come to App because they want to do something about what's going on in the world. They want to be active. And that's beautiful and lovely. And actually, the Bible says... When someone asks uh, uh, John, like, what's, what's, what is, like, true Christianity? Uh, he, he says, you love orphans and widows, right? Because those people in his culture were the most oppressed, and they could give nothing back to you, right? They, could, they couldn't offer you anything for loving them. So that is good and beautiful. But um, much of our effort and mu- much of our talk, much, much of our social media presence about caring for the oppressed has a lot lot less to do with justice for oppressed people than it does with setting ourselves apart from other people in our privileged group. From saying like, well, yeah, I might be white, but at least I'm not like an unaware white person, right? Um, And and honestly, that's why you get bored with it. And and I'm not, you know, it's, it's interesting. Speaking of Dr. Martin Luther King, you know, Dr. King was a pastor, he was a Christian pastor, and the reason why he argued that people should be treated fairly is because we're all created in God's image. And what he called people to, like southern white Christian people to, was not to stop being so Christian, but to actually start following the Jesus that they say that we're supposed to worship, right? Dr. King pushed us to be more Christian, so I'm not saying that you get bored because you're, because you're actually caring for oppressed people. I'm saying is you get bored because you're caring for yourself. Um, and to love as God loves, I know this is kind of hard to hear, um, so we'll be done with this in a second. To love as God loves would be to march on Saturday and also lovingly listen to and laugh with your parents back home on Sunday at lunch, even though they voted differently than you did. Um, in, in the gospel, we're able to love both the oppressed and the oppressor. That's a true sign of gospel love. Um, when, I, when I think about this, I think about a local ministry. It's called Hope Pregnancy Center. And, uh, you know, things like reproductive rights are, are a big um, fight. And what we tend to do in relationships is we become outraged with each other. And we go, this will, I don't have to be in a relationship with you because I'm outraged at your position. And, uh, but what's beautiful about Hope is this is what they do. Almost all their clients that come in are in a crisis pregnancy are students. Okay? So these young women feel terrified because they go if I'm going to have this baby I have to quit school I have to go back home and basically like give up my future 
and I'm not going to get to thrive. And that is the fast track to poverty. And so what hope does is hope does not at all engage in any sort of debate about reproductive anything. What they do is they say, we are a place that wants to help move women from being a place of crisis to a place of thriving. So they raise money for women for scholarships so that women can stay in school. They coordinate um, medical benefits for women that decide to keep their babies so that they can be taken care of without having to pay out of their pocket. They coordinate babysitting. They coordinate baby showers. They, have, they, 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 uh, <clears throat> they put together childcare so that women can continue their education if they choose to keep their child. What that is is an actual active caring for an individual. Not just getting involved in a debate where I can become outraged with you so that I can just put you out of my life and write you off and withhold love from you. And that, that to me is amazing. We use outrage as an excuse not to love instead of moving toward people. But look, there's nothing, according to the scripture, that justifies withholding love from another person. And the reason why is because no matter who they are, they deserve love and are worth love because God created them in his image. Um, And look, and we know God's love is true. It's kind of like you know a friend really loves you when they're not afraid to like say something to you that is hard. Say something to you that's like running a risk of like them being mad at you and like blocking you on Snapchat. Okay. God's, God's ways for his people, if you look at verse 5 through 7, involves pain for them. I won't read it all, but it says, look, Assyria shall be their king, the sword shall rage against their cities. God's about to allow his people, because of their rebellion, to be carried off and to be judged um, and to not withhold pain from them because he knows this is ultimately for their good because they've been disobedient. A woman named Elizabeth Elliot She said, God never withholds from his child that which his love and wisdom call good. Another way you could say that is God will not withhold anything from his children that are going to make them more like Jesus. And that means you can trust him as someone who actually loves you. And that means that there are times when you are going to be called to speak honestly to someone that you love when they're hurting themselves or they're hurting another person. And you're going to run the risk of wounding them, right? But a skilled surgeon knows how to make a temporary wound to bring eventual health, right? To bring better and more full health. And this is my question for you. Um, are you letting your need to be thought well of keep you from actually loving the people around you? Or are you confident enough that you, that you can love them and speak truth uh, into their lives? Look, love is seeking the good of another solely because of their intrinsic value, not because they can give you something transactionally. And we'll bring it down on this. Look, um, if it's not a feeling state and an action, and that means you can do it for your enemies, and uh, if it's not transactional, it means that you, you don't have to get anything out of it to do it, that is a kind of love that you and I have not experienced from another human being. Uh, that is a love that is actually impossible for us to get. I have never loved somebody like that. And you've never loved somebody like that either, nor have you ever been loved like that by another person. Look, it's beyond us. Because there's something in us that keeps us consuming for ourselves. The Bible calls that sin. Um, And look, our great sin is not necessarily what we do with our bodies, or what we do with alcohol, or what the words we say. Our great sin is this. It's that we find God boring. And are so quick to become disinterested and unsatisfied with the one who has taken our little hands 
and taught us how to walk every day of our life, whether we realize he was there or not. Our problem isn't rule-breaking. Our problem is that we just care so little about what God is doing for us, about his love toward us. But there's good news. John, the Apostle John says in 1 John 4, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the payment for our sins. Love is not a principle. When you really break it down to its core, love is not like a character trait or a virtue. Love is is an individual. Love is a person. This scripture tells us that God is love. God doesn't say God is loving. Right? God is love. God is the source of love. We love, the scripture says, because God first loved us. Here's what that means as an aside. That means whether you're here tonight and you know God or you do not, your capacity for love comes from God. It is a gift of his goodness to you to draw him, to draw you to himself. But love is a person named Jesus. That means that you can know love. Um, And Jesus, what he did by taking pain for us on the cross, by taking all of our disinterest and numbness toward God upon himself on the cross to absorb that for us, made the way to love clear uh, and open for anybody to come in, no matter how numb and how disinterested you are. And that kind of love that he's calling us to is possible for you when you are responding to the absolutely unearned love of Jesus. Because you, you may ask, like, um, like, do I know lots of loving people and they may or may not be Christians, like, and that's true, absolutely. But like, I'm telling you, in order to be fully human and fully love, you have to know Jesus. And here here's why. Um, because God is the source of our love no matter what. And also because a Christian can love from a place of being absolutely accepted. So I don't need anything from you. Like, Christians never have to go to another person to say, like, I'm needy for your affirmation. He's like, I can always move toward you in love. I saw a friend of mine the other day, and he just had his first baby. And um, you guys think that's sweet because you don't have babies. Um, (laughs) I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. Um, And I'll tell you why. Uh, He has a six-week-old son. And I saw him, and then the next day I texted him. I was like, hey, man, it's good to see you. And I said, how's your little boy? And he texted me back and he said, I just got back to him. I can't believe how much I missed him. Which is amazing if you've ever been around a six-week-old human being. Um, Because literally, that child is only a nuisance. Like, when a child is like eight months old, you're like, oh, like, we can get some back and forth. They're smiling at me. When a child is six weeks old, they can do nothing. They literally hurt your health. Like, obviously, they hurt the mother's health, right? Like, she has to recover from, like, a trauma. Um, But also, like, it contributes nothing to the house. It keeps you up all night, and all you do is serve it. And yet, in some sense, he gets home, and he goes, I just, I missed him so much. And that is why God uses the example of himself as a parent. Because when Jeremy, my friend Jeremy, got home, like, I guarantee you he held his boy and he just wanted to smell his hair. Even though that child could do nothing in return from him, for him. And that is the kind of love that we receive from God in Jesus. One where we're, all we are is a nuisance, really. 
but absolutely completely loved. And look, the definition of love is actively seeking the good of another because of their intrinsic value as a human being. May God give you the grace to love him and to love your neighbor that way. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we're grateful that you love us in this that is love, not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us and given us your son, the Lord Jesus, as the payment for our sin. We're grateful for that. We're grateful for the work of Jesus on our behalf, and we ask that you would work in us, teach us how to love, and so therefore to be fully human. Lord, if this is the first time that that one of us is, is experiencing this and sort of working through this, would you help push them to someone else to process it together? And Lord, would you drive this deeply into all of our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.